Welcome to Hidden Tracks with Robin LaRose, the little heard stories behind the music, the artists, and their work. Hi, it's Robin LaRose, and thanks for checking out Hidden Tracks, which is part of the Curious Cast Network, heard on chorus stations across Canada, wherever you listen to podcasts, for that matter. And uh, before we get into this episode with Robbie Robertson, feel free to scroll down the uh, list of other podcast episodes featuring the uh, co-founders of Woodstock, some of the artists that were there 50 years ago, like Grace Slick, Graham Nash, Country Joe. Plus, uh, there's Hidden Tracks with Roger Waters, Alice Cooper, who has some great Halloween stories to tell, and uh, Lindsey Buckingham, ex of Fleetwood Mac, and Brian Adams as well. So have a listen. Uh, Drop me a line. Tell me what you think at rlarose at rock101.com, or you can uh, DM me on Facebook or Twitter at Robin LaRose Show. I'd really appreciate, uh, as well, if you uh, subscribe to the podcast. Okay, now on to episode 15 with Robbie Robertson. Born in Toronto, cut his chops first and foremost, backing up Ronnie Hawkins in The Hawks. Bob Dylan hired them in 1965 for his U.S. tour, helping Dylan go electric, as a matter of fact. And by 1968, everyone retired to uh, Woodstock. The group officially went with the name The Band, with Robbie, Lee Von Helm, Rick Danko, Richard Manuel, and Garth Hudson. They released 10 excellent studio albums before calling it quits with The Last Waltz in 1976 in San Francisco's Winterland. This year marks the band's 50th anniversary of their second album. And uh, this special release, by the way, includes the remixed album, outtakes, surround mixes, and uh, the group's never-released set from the Woodstock Festival. It's on a series of CDs, Blu-rays, and vinyl. It was assembled uh, originally in 1969 by the band and producer John Simon in Sammy Davis Jr.'s Los Angeles Pool House, of all places. Also this year, Robbie is back with his first solo album in eight years called Cinematic. Let me tell you, it's taken eight years... Because he's been busy writing books, working with director Martin Scorsese on a variety of movies, including The Irishman, which is out now, and involved with a documentary about his legendary group, The Band. Robbie Robertson on Hidden Tracks. Yeah, Robin. How you doing? I'm good. How about you? Good. You're overmodulated just a little bit at your end. Uh, it's been my problem uh, most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, te- how's this? T- testing, testing, modulating. Thank you for doing this uh, today, by the way. Where are you, Robin? I'm in uh, Vancouver. Yeah, I love Vancouver. I'm sitting in a studio uh, 21 floors above uh, Granville in Georgia, looking out my west window at English Bay. And it's a, it's kind of smoggy and misty out there today, but maybe not as much as it is down in Los Angeles. What What's it like being in L.A. in the middle of all that wildfire action the last couple of weeks? Oh, it's clear as a bell. Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> it seems fine. I, I don't know. And I, I'm sure in some areas it's it's worse than others. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, listen, I greatly appreciate this. I know you're an incredibly busy guy. It's been a busy couple of months, busy year, busy life, my God. And this year alone, uh, you know, your album, Cinematic, which is amazing, uh, 
The documentary, Thank Once you. Were Brothers, also amazing. Marty Scorsese's new film, The Irishman. The band's 50th anniversary reissue. And I, I hear you're also working on the follow-up to your uh, book, Testimony, as well. Yeah, in my spare time. <laughs> Where do you find <laughs> your spare time? Oh, my God. I'm searching for it. I'm searching <laughs> high and low. Would you say that the book was sort of like the catalyst uh, for everything else to unfold? You know, the documentary, the cinematic album, how did everything start and blend into everything else, like pieces of a puzzle? You know, the book was part of the source, for sure. Um, and it was the inspiration for the Once Were Brothers documentary. And then because after the book, you know, when I started working on this record, you know, I was carrying some of that with me still. And then... On, in this record, while I was working on The Irishman, that started to become part of the record as well. So all of these things just started swirling around in my imagination. And, uh, and you know, some of them landed in interesting places. How involved did you become with the documentary? Because they came to you, right? You weren't thinking of making a film about you and the band, right? No, um it, it yeah it it didn't uh it didn't come from me um but at some point in this you know i i needed to be helpful in that and so one of the things that we did was find this young director daniel Rohr, and then i got out of the way for a lot of it and uh, Jared Levine, who's an executive producer in the film and my manager, he kind of watched the store. And then later on, when they started to have a structure and it was going in a certain direction, then they asked me to check it out just for, you know, getting things correct, uh, authentic uh, of what actually happened because this young director, you know, he wasn't, uh, he, he wasn't around. He's a very young guy. So he wasn't around when a lot of this was happening. So I, I wanted to be helpful in that if I could. Yeah. The, the song once were brothers from cinematic. Um, you, you didn't write it for the film. Obviously you wrote that uh, way before, but that was used uh, in the film. Um, when you're, when you're looking at a, a, a documentary about your life, um, the band, so much has gone by. It, it must be kind of amazing to go, wow, you know, the, the, the miles traveled and the things that jog your, your, your memory. And I know the, mm -hmm. when you're writing a book, that's a daunting task in itself to, uh, you know, recollect what the heck uh, happened, who you met, where you were, what was going on, all that kind of stuff. It's a lengthy process, I know. And then the, the documentary comes out. Is there anything that you that you learned um, after watching this documentary and getting involved in it? Well, I learned that it was a very time-consuming project, <laughs> but I di I didn't write Once Were Brothers. Oh, okay. uh, Early on, I wrote that while the documentary was being made, and I wrote it. I wrote it because uh, the documentary was swirling around in the air, right. and one day. You know, for this record, I, w I wasn't really thinking 
thinking that they, you know, naturally be connected. But uh, I was inspired by what was going on to write this song, and it just connected in a way. And when the filmmakers, you know, heard this song, they said, oh, this really hits directly at the heart of what we're trying to do with this documentary. And they said, in fact, we would like to call the documentary Once We're Brothers. So it was just the way things were adding up. Once we're brothers, brothers no more. We lost our connection after the war. Cinematic, your latest project. This is the first uh, since How to Be Clairvoyant. Did, did songwriting come easy for you this time as opposed to, you know, back then with uh, Big Pink, uh, The Weight, and now uh, Cinematic? Um, was it easier or was it was it tougher? Because I know you're talking uh, and writing uh, and singing about some stuff that happened in your life, and that's something you avoided before, I understand. Uh, was it easier or, or more difficult to write it? You know, it's, kind of a um it's kind of a habit in uh, what i do yeah i you know i i don't write i don't make records because i have to go out and do a tour yeah i make records when i you know i think of some stories to tell and uh and when i made clairvoyant i just felt like yeah i got some ideas i got some things um, and, and then I do it. And then, and then after that, when I was writing this book, yeah, um, you're right. It, it's a very, very deep involved process doing that. And I had to go into a, di- a dimension to write that book. It isn't a hobby. It's, and I actually wrote this book. Um, a lot of people that have books come out, they don't actually write them. There's somebody behind the curtain. Um, I I did, I tried the behind the curtain thing before. It didn't work for me, so I actually had to do it myself, and and that was very consuming. And then there was other things I was working on with Martin Scorsese, other movies, and then I thought of some more songs, ideas, and. So it's kind of a natural process for me, and I don't think of it as being any harder or easier. Um, you know, writing songs is very mysterious. You you never know when you sit down what's going to happen, what you're going to get, and that's part of the excitement too that it can actually surprise you what you come up with. Yeah, I was reading a British GQ article about. How many writers it takes to uh, compose, uh, well, in this case, 100 hit songs from last year. And they said, uh, after doing their calculations, 5.34 people. Don't you find that kind of amazing? There's a process in a lot of record making today. Yes. Where people come in, you know, they, they record something, then somebody else comes in, does some work on it. Somebody else comes in, and then they just figure out what to keep and what not to keep. And so it's a bit of an assembly line thing. And, you know, I've always believed it's about the results. And 
if the results are great, then hallelujah. You know, but I, I don't like that many people in the kitchen myself. Yeah. I, I'm back to cinematic. Uh, I hear you paint houses. This is a great story, which is uh, the name of the Charles Brandt book about uh, hitman Frank, uh, the Irishman Sheeran, which is the source material for uh, Martin Scorsese's film. This is a great story behind the song. And uh, Van Morrison's involvement, we listened to this last night after dinner again. Um, can, can you tell me that story again? Um, the song is ostensibly about a hitman or hitmen and, and uh, getting Van Morrison back uh, in the studio with you. Well, I, I was working on the movie, and um, and it wasn't on purpose, but I sat down one day to wor- work on a song, and like I said, you never know where you're going. And, uh, and because I was working on the movie, I ended up writing a song called I Hear You Paint Houses. It was all connected, and I... You know, when it really comes down to it, I just couldn't help but go there and write this because I was involved. So then Van came to town, and he was just, you know, we were hanging out. He says, well, what are you working on? And I played him a rough of this song, and he said, whoa, I like that. And it's, you know, he likes the idea that I work, you know, with Marty on these movies, too, and, but anyway, he, he seemed drawn to this song, and I said, well, do you want to sing on it? And he said, yeah. So that was it. We just went, and it was such a joy, him and I mixing it up together. And, you know, it was just, for us, personally, a just great fun to put this together. I hear you pay houses. Sounds like it. Absolutely sounds like it. It's gorgeous. Thank you. Uh, Thank um, you. The Irishman, the film, Marty Scorsese. Is this the 10th film or or thereabouts you've worked on with him? Something like that. I've I've lost count. It might be a little more than that. I don't know, but it's it's a ritual. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I love it. And, (laughs) you know, and Marty is just, he's so great. And it's such a a pleasure, you know, working with him over all these years. And, uh, and we're even starting to work on the next movie. So it's an ongoing thing. Oh my God. That's crazy. Um, the theme Irishman theme is in the film and on the soundtrack is so well. It's very impressive. I wanted to flash back to uh, uh, one, of, one of the songs on cinematic, Beautiful Madness, uh, which is uh, in part, of, I, I take from the excess uh, 70s and when you lived in Hollywood with Martin Scorsese and in that time. Um, have you seen Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, I did. I, I enjoyed it. Did you? It's a very slow yeah. burn of a film. Beautiful madness for you in in Hollywood. Well, you know we we weren't. Uh, I don't know. We weren't very unique in what was going on. 
it was just the you know part of that era, part of that period. A lot of people were, uh, you know, just experimenting and trying things, and uh, and we didn't find out until later that you know some of that experimenting could be dangerous. Um, and but God, we had a good time. It's such a beautiful madness. Dead End Kid from Cinematic. Here's a song that goes back to your roots in Toronto. Kid with big dreams and those uh, people who uh, always doubted that you'd never make anything out of yourself. And look at you now. They said you'll never be nothing. You're just a dead end kid. We know who you are. Know what, you did. what inspired you to write that? That way, you know, that was directly influenced by writing the book. Um, and that opened the door in a certain way that, you know, writing songs, I've, I've uh, you know, I've over the years thought of myself as more of a storyteller than here's what happened to me this morning. Um, you know, some people could do that okay. I, I, you know, on occasion, I would find that a little bit self-indulgent. I tried to stay out of the way of some of that. And because I was writing songs for the guys in the band, too, I, I you know, the stories, the idea of our workshop, of our brotherhood, the way we work together, it was, it was a special thing to be able to be the author of the stories that we were going to tell. So that was a particular way of going about it. When I don't have that, and after writing the book, it just made me, it just kind of freed me up in a way to be able to talk about some of these things. And, and Dead End Kid is, uh, is a direct example of that. Quickly, if possible, uh, one or two word answers to these. Biggest influence, Robbie? Um, the biggest influence, uh, you know, for me early on um, might have been uh, Buddy Holly. Greatest success? Oh, I'm working on that now. <laughs> I, I expect it to be happening sometime in the next couple of years. Greatest regret? I don't really carry any regrets. You know, what happened happened, and uh, we try to grow and learn from those things. What else did I leave out here? Oh, yeah, the last waltz. You got an anniversary concert in Nashville, a 43rd anniversary this November 25th. Um, that's what I understand, yeah. but I am going to go for their final concert and uh, and help celebrate with the guys. There's wonderful people uh performing on this that I have a lot of respect for. So I'm 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 gonna show up for that. Up on the band's fiftieth anniversary reissue going on the fifteenth of November. Last year was the fiftieth for music from Big Pink, and uh, this year the band release, which is really really cool. Fifty years, Robbie. It's amazing. Seems like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs>
Congrats again on everything you do and have done and will continue to do. And I really appreciate you uh, doing this. Thank you again, Robbie. Oh, that's very kind of you. Thank you. The legendary Robbie Robertson. Check out the band's 50th anniversary edition of their second album. That was just released on November 15th and available on a series of beautifully packaged CDs, Blu-rays, and vinyl. There's also uh, Robbie Robertson's new album, Cinematic, the documentary, Once We're Brothers, Robbie Robertson and the band, and the latest Martin Scorsese film, The Irishman. Robbie did the soundtrack for that film as well. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Thanks to Dale Robertson and Stephanie Horak of Universal and Brittany from Chorus Vancouver for putting this together. Next episode featuring Billy F. Gibbons and Frank Beard of ZZ Top, also celebrating 50 years this year on the next Hidden Tracks podcast. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Hidden Tracks podcast with Robin LaRose. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your podcasts.